Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than seeing the original Holidays Are Coming, Holidays Are Coming advert. Because it's still 90s, isn't it? It's great to see it. It means Christmas is coming and I love how 90s that advert is. Never, ever change it, Coca-Cola. Holidays are coming, holidays are coming. My name's Ash Rose, your host and guide on this, the original 1990s football podcast, Alive and Kicking. As we celebrate the decade that changed football forever. I haven't used that line in a while. I thought I'd add it in there as we're getting towards the end of the year. And a bit of a classic retro. We used to say that all the time on here. I think I got called up on it a few times, actually. But yeah, it is the decade that changed football forever. Talking of changed football, did anyone see Stuck On You? Did you? Our last episode here on Alive and Kicking was called The Same. It was because there was a documentary on ITV4 that aired earlier this month. With uh, Well, it was kind of inspired by the guest that we had on the show, Greg Lansdowne, the oracle of stickers. His book, Stuck On You, go and put it on your Christmas list, uh, inspired the documentary on the kind of story behind football stickers in this country. And it was really, really interesting. Um, having read Greg's book anyway, which is a great read, and the stuff he told us, on last time out's pod, um, him and Joel chipping in with his sticker memories as well as my own. Um, it was a really nice story to, it's quite cutthroat, wasn't it, the sticker world, especially in that sort of crossover period between Benini and Merling in the sort of late 80s and early 90s. Um, but I love the, obviously, the later parts, the 1990s stories of the stickers, the stuff from the guys that uh, that made Merlin and then went on to make the Premier League sticker album in 1994, the the blue one with Ryan Giggs on the cover. It was great to see Giggs in that documentary as well. Um, interesting for me personally, and in the narrative of the story, that it was WWF that got Merlin almost out of trouble because it looked like they were doomed, even though they were trying to start this new company, and they couldn't quite get it off the ground. And then they got rights to the WWF album in the early 90s, an album which I still own, I think, is in the garage somewhere, the black one. And that kind of got them in the door with the, with the Premier League, and then the rest is history. Those guys eventually sold the company to Tops and uh, are doing very well for themselves now. So, yeah, really, really interesting. If you haven't watched Stuck On You... I'm sure it must be on the ITV hub, I think it's called, their, their iPlayer version. Um, really, really interesting watch uh, for anyone who just likes stickers and nostalgia. And I'm sure you do because you're listening to this podcast. So what? go back uh, on ITV and, uh, and watch that. And then listen to the podcast as well because I think Greg kind of fills in a few gaps um, that they didn't quite get time to do. Because it was like an hour long, when, well, 40 minutes when you add in all the ad breaks. But they did cover quite a lot. But Greg does cover even more, not only on that podcast. We did a podcast on stickers very early on in I Life and Kickin's lifetime. I think it was actually like the second or third episode. Um, so go back and listen to that. That was a more of an outlier one. But last time out, we did a bit more detail with Greg and Joel. And it was really, really interesting. Um, and it's not ever stopping either. Because I know the Premier League sticker album for 2017 uh, is coming out on the 14th of December. The 25th anniversary of that album as well. Really quite tempted to collect those stickers. But I think I'll hold off possibly until Russia 2018 when everyone goes a bit mad for that album once again when it's out next year I like the new poster by the way not not very retro in terms of 90s but still retro it wasn't kind of, i like that the world cup is keeping their posters a little bit retro not gone to 2000s and 17s and whatever else um, very very good Try, starting to get world cup fever a little bit hoping it's going to be a good tournament uh, especially with the draw this week as well so it'd be very very interesting and all the kits that are inspired by the 90s as well of course 
that was the last show we did then, the, the sticker pod. It's been a couple of weeks um, since we've done that one, uh, only because I've been trying to get timings ready and correctly that will schedules that will meet with today's guest. Quite a different show again today. Uh, I'll get to that in just a second. Uh, just a few shout-outs first as we are headed into the, the festive season. I think there's a few things you should be putting on your Christmas list. Um, the first thing is friend of the show, Sid Lambert. He's been on a couple of times. Uh, I think last time out was the pod before last when we did our underrated 11s with Joel as well as Sid. Um, great friend of the show. He has written a fantastic book. If you haven't read it or heard of it, it's called Cashing In. Um, it's the it's a novel, it's a story set around football in the 1990s about a young footballer called Ray Cash. And I'm, I'm not just blowing smoke at people's asses and stuff. I genuinely think it's a fantastic read. Um, and I think it, it needs to get out there a bit more for me. I want people to, to read this book and really appreciate what, how hard Sid's worked and how brilliant this book is. It's got some great reviews on Amazon, so I'm not the only one saying how good it is. So if you are into 90s football, and of course I assume you are because you're listening to a live gig in, get cashing in uh, by Sid Lambert just google it onto Amazon it'll come up really really good book and if we get enough books sold for for Sid and stuff he's gonna he wants to do a sequel he wants to make this kind of a trilogy and I'd really be interested in reading what happens to Ray Cash in the next book so let's get uh let's get that on the road for him um, by selling a sh- selling a few books for Sid over the Christmas period because it's well worth your pennies and a, an ideal present for anyone who loves their 1990s football also Put this on your Christmas list as well, but also you can win it on the if you go on the nineteen uh, the AK nineties uh, Twitter feed at AK nineties. We are running a competition with the brilliant Halley Inc at the moment. Uh, he's he does these great a uh, sort of post kits posters, I suppose you'd call them artwork. I've got a QPR one sitting on my wall that side. I've got a Euro ninety six one sitting on my wall this side, uh, and there's a World Cup USA ninety four one, which is on my Christmas list. But you can win that poster plus a couple of cool badges from the tournament that he's designed as well i think they've got the the football from that tournament the brilliant logo which i love and striker the mascot the disney inspired mascot for world cup usa 94 if you want a win a poster and the badges go onto the twitter feed simply follow and retweet and we will be able to put you in the hat for the competition and you may be lucky enough to be the owner of a brilliant halley inc usa 94 artwork but if you're not Go onto his website or his Twitter feed at Halley Inc. and see because he's got a plethora of other kit posters, not just international teams, um, but uh, club teams, uh, tournaments, um, badges as well. The badges are fantastic. I really want to collect more of the badge kit badges done. Oh, I've got the Euro '96 England one, um, but I really, really want to do uh, get collect a few more of those kit badges that he's got on there. He did do a fantastic Sabutio range. Uh, a week or so ago unfortunately it sold out so quickly i managed to get my hands on an alexi lala sabutio figure absolutely one off uh, i put it on my own twitter feed at ash rose uk but i'll put it on the uh, the ak 90s one for you guys to see but the, yeah he's doing a couple of them i think he may do another one uh, before christmas i also managed to get in on the he's doing a customized sabutio figures and you can guess who i chose but i'll leave you um in suspense on that one until the figure's finished and i'll put it on the twitter feed but all good stuff if you're into your kits, like a bit of artwork on your wall in your office or your bedroom or whatever, go to Halley Inc. Also, um, another friend of the show, he is the Kit Oracle. So we've had the stickers Oracle in Greg Lansdowne earlier in the show. And now I'm talking about 
John Devlin of True Colours. He's done some brilliant kit posters as well. He sent me a QPR one, which is fantastic. He's got a few other teams as well um, on his website. So check that out again if you're into your kits, because I certainly am. And finally, if we're talking Christmas lists, I can't, you know, be remiss of me not to mention the book that spawned this podcast, uh, Alive and Kicking. Uh, it's it's a little bit, uh, it came out in 2013, but it's about the 90s, so it's very much not dated in terms of modern football. So if you do want to see what started this whole ride for Alive and Kicking, the book, Alive and Kicking, The Ultimate Guide to 90s Nostalgia, is available now from Amazon. That's got a few good reviews as well. Um, and they're not just my family, honest. So if you want to put that on your Christmas list as well, go for it. Because there's uh, lots of 90s goodness out there that you should be uh, putting down there for Santa to bring you on December 25th. We're not quite yet that, no. And um, we are on today's show. A little bit different. I really wanted to kind of... I've been looking forward to this show. Um, not that I don't look forward to all the shows, but this is a little bit different because it's called the 90s Appreciation Club, which you may think, well, that's what you are in general, which is true. But these two guys that were on the show today have made a little name for themselves in the social media world just based on 90s football. So again, this is the third time I've said this, but I imagine if you're listening to this podcast, you're clearly into 90s football, you must follow at least one of these guys. So the two Twitter feeds that are very important to today's show are 90s football and crap 90s football. They are both talking to us about their love for the decade. They are little stories about how their Twitter feed came about, um, the sort of thing that they put on there, some cool stories about where it's led them. I thought it'd be really interesting to see uh, you know, that these two guys appreciate the decade because also I think they're a little bit younger than the said audience that you probably would imagine would uh, come from that decade. So really interesting show today with those two guys. We also got an interview today, as always, here on Alive and Kicking. And it's an interview I actually conducted over a year ago and the reason I haven't played it for you guys yet is just at the time we were working on a particular show uh, we still hope to do that which is themed around the class of 92 just hasn't quite worked out for a number of reasons at the moment uh, but I wanted to play this interview for you today just because I thought it was a good chance to use it uh, we here on the actual main bulk of the show are the kind of 90s appreciation club as I've called it in the title and this guy grew up appreciating the club or the class of 92 that he was surrounded by you know they're talking about the lame names like gigs and beckham and skulls and but but this guy was just as well as deserving to be in that squad as well he's a name you'll definitely remember of that kind of early glory man united days of the 1990s chris casper is today's guest here on alive and kicking so sit back get your eggnog or whatever christmas yuletide drink you're already sipping because i know i am and listen to today's alive and kicking with me some social media moguls and chris casper and today yes a very interesting show today we're stepping into the world of social media and how two guys have embraced that and 90s football and come together for a a nice pie, a 90s football pie of goodness that we're going to talk about today on today's show. So let me introduce my guests. He is firstly the man behind 90s football, the Twitter feed. I'm sure you all follow it. He is Paddy Shaw. How are you doing, Paddy? I'm right, thanks to you. I'm very well. Thank you for joining us. And alongside him, someone else who has embraced 90s football, but not quite in the same way. Someone who's embraced the bad, the awful, the crap, crap 90s football Twitter feed. James Richardson, welcome to the show, mate. Cheers, Ash. Good to have you. 
yeah, good to have you on, guys. Uh, before we get into it, then talk about these. Uh, it's a different world, social media. Of course, you can follow the our show at AK Nineties. We're going to kick off as we always do here uh, with our football CVs. Um, I don't know these guys support, which is a uh, which is quite interesting to me. So it's a little bit surprised, and uh, I'm intrigued to where we're going. So, firstly, Paddy, who's your team? I'm a Norwich fan. Oh, Norwich! Oh, that I'm expecting. Maybe some uh, players from that great team of the 92-93 season then. Who's your favourite 90s player from Carrow Road then? Um, for me, it was actually the later 90s. Um, it was the Ewan Roberts. Um, to be honest, I was a l- just a little bit too young to truly appreciate the 92 team. So uh, I've gone with Ewan Roberts, uh, obviously signed for the club mm. in, uh, in 97. Probably towards the end of his career, actually, he was he was 29 when he went signed for us, uh, but he stayed for quite some time. And uh, I don't know, he was just a player that was if there was if there was a ball in the box, he was just there. He was the one guy you wanted to be on the end of that ball. He didn't sort score screamers, any particularly brilliant goals, but he just scored a lot. He was, he was good. Yeah, he was kind. Of, he's like a typical archetypal sort of 90s sort of player, wasn't he? Kind of he bit, was, yeah. a bit rough around the edges, but if you played for your club, you kind of appreciated what he brought to the game. I mean, he was a good, you know, hold-up guy and stuff. He, 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 he still does a lot for Norwich now, doesn't Norwich TV and things like that, doesn't he? If I've seen him about, he, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he looks a bit hipster these days, doesn't he? After I remember seeing <laughs> pictures of him. He's got the, you know, the proper beard and the slip back hair and the glasses. He so. does look quite cool. Yeah, he does, yeah. Which you wouldn't expect when he had no teeth during most of the the late 90s and the early 2000s. He's very true. Yeah, so outside of Carrow Road, who would be your, your favourite player in the 90s? Um, I'm afraid it's a, it's a quite a boring answer, but it's got to be Shearer. Mm. No, never boring. I mean, just just uh, growing up with just the goals that he scored was just... Just amazing, really. Just he could score from anywhere. Just scored for fun. And as, as a kid, that is what you want. You want to appreciate a striker who just scores all the time. And yeah, that was the guy for me. Yeah, well, you can't get many better. When you look at his goals record, well, it's still quite astounding. Bearing in mind how you know he had big, two major injuries in that decade as well. It's uh, it's a pretty amazing goal. Oh, good two two good choices there. And um, let's go to James then. Uh, James, uh, who's your team? Yeah, Hull City. Oh God, yeah. I never had a whole fan on this. This will be interesting <laughs> then. We could talk about the there tiger. Wasn't, wasn't many, yeah, many of us in the nineties. <laughs> there should have been with that tiger kit. That's the classic nineties. Oh, absolutely iconic. Yeah, yeah it's a yeah. symbol of nineties kit. So, who is your favourite hole player from that era? Well, I'm going to stick my neck out and say it's probably someone that's never cropped up on the uh, on the podcast before. Uh, a player called Neil Mann, who um, I can't say we've had that name before. No, no, absolutely not. It's very, I mean, he, he wasn't even our, our probably our best player around the time when I started uh, following us. I mean, the, probably the, the one that people would have heard of was Dean Windus, yeah. um, who then later went on to uh, bigger and better things, and then came back uh, later, much later on in his career. Um, but Manny was um, he was a, a left left-footed uh, winger, stroke uh, left back, and was he, he, the one thing that always captivated me about him was he, he was just always ultra positive. He always got the ball. He had so much, so much skill for a player of, of kind of lower league, you know, sort of the term lower league Pele probably, you know, yeah, he, he just, he was, he was always so talented and he always scored absolute belting goals. Didn't score many of them, but he also scored absolute belting goals. Is um, uh, a couple of, of, um, was sticking my mind like long, long range chips and and um, yeah, he he was 
it, it, it was just that as, as a young as a young kid going and seeing this guy that picked up the ball and just dribbled with it all the time and kind of beat players. I mean, he was very unfortunately um, struck with injuries and actually his career pretty much finished by um, by the end of the 90s as well. He, he suffered a, a cruciate ligament um, injury. But uh, but yeah, so so it's probably uh, it's probably very very niche. But uh, Neil Mann for me, there's nothing wrong with a bit of niche and a bit. Of... <laughs> Certainly falls into the category of '90s player that time forgot as well. But yeah, I do remember the. I vaguely remember the name. I think I may have even have a pro set card of him. Uh, possibly, yeah, yeah, yeah possibly. I'm... I'd have to go back and have a look. Then outside of the Tigers, then uh, who would be your player of the '90s? Uh, well, can I bend the rule slightly and go for two? Oh, go on then. <laughs> well, um, from probably again, probably quite cliched one almost. Uh, Eric Cantona. Um, it just, the, just the. I mean, again, given watching what I was at Boothbury Park for, for the majority of the decade, it just seemed kind of light years. You know how how he played the game seemed light years away from what what um, I was accustomed to on a on a on a weekly basis. Um, just the swagger, the arrogance, uh, just you know, it just sort of personified everything that. I deemed kind of uh, top flight football to be. Um, the other one, and I, I, given given my name, I think obviously perhaps it would be uh, remiss for me to ignore football Italia. I was um, going to mention but, that. Yeah, go on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, was uh, Beppe Signori as well. Yeah. Again, similar similar reasons to to Neil Mann actually. Just play, you know, a player that could get the ball and just dribble with it and. You know, any time I seem to watch him on 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 a Sunday afternoon, he, he always seems to sort of bomb in a free kick from twenty five or thirty yards out, and it just again just captured my imagination. It's always flair players have always just caught my imagination, really. No, two good choices, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I was going to say that your intro. Have you ever been the James Richardson name is obviously very apt. Uh, I was actually at the Total Football Live. <laughs> event last night at the O2 oh, which, uh, which he presented it was good to, to meet the man in person I'm, gonna tr- I'm trying to get him on the show we're going to try and do a Football Italia oh, special he's a lovely so. man yeah he is I've, I've actually met him as well I went went to the uh, the Football Italia uh, reunion event um, earlier earlier on this year and uh, sort of the uh, self-meeting self uh, thing happened he was a lovely <laughs> fella yeah well, it's, not, it's not the most unusual now so I guess it happens every now and then yep. doesn't it yeah Okay, well, let's let's talk about why you, we've got you guys on then. Obviously, it's a quite different show for us. We usually go down on a theme and talk through that. But I wanted to get you guys on because you've made such a, a success of using social media and combining that with 90s football. Um, let's start with chronologically because um, Patrick, Paddy, as we'll, as we'll call you, um, you're the, the first account that I came across and I think um, that, that followed as well. So firstly, I mean, for people who haven't heard of you, I, I can't believe they listen to this podcast and probably haven't. But the basis of your, um, what is your Twitter account? I mean, basically, it's just uh, everything that's brilliant about United's football. Mm. Um, just from goals to classic moments to just the terrible kits of the 90s. Just <laughs> a mixture of just everything, really. And, and so let's get into the beginnings of it. What made you... Uh, start this Twitter feed. I mean, because as you've already said, you are probably slightly younger than some people might expect you to be because of the '90s football being, you know, like you said, you don't really remember the '92 team. But so, what made you start this Twitter feed? Um, it was just something I was quite passionate about. I mean, I was a big fan of the obscure '90s footballers and obscure yeah. naughty footballers mm. pages on Facebook, and uh, and there was also an account uh, called '90s Footballers on Twitter, um, which had about. 15,000 followers at the time 
Um, and it was something that I quite enjoyed, but they they, they stopped tweeting, um, basically. So I thought it was quite a shame, because I could see there was quite a lot of potential there. Um, so I decided to have a go, but uh, the 90s football handle was just used by someone for their personal Twitter account. Um, so I, I kind of waited for a little bit, and luckily they changed account names, and uh, I kind of grabbed it. Mm. And you definitely you run with it. Someone has got, I mean, I'm Ash Rose UK on Twitter, but someone has just got Ash Rose and they never, ever tweet. It's very yeah. annoying. <laughs> it is. It is. It's very annoying. It's the same on Instagram as well. It's like, well, you know, release it. And I can I can go global then. I don't have to be just UK. Um, so, yeah, you, you mentioned it's, you know, it, it, it was your love for 90s football. I mean, I'm looking at your page now. You've got you know, 232,000 followers, which is a tremendous achievement. I mean, how... Did you ever expect it to get this this far and this big? I mean, going back to the early days, how often were you doing it? What did what did you expect to come of, of this Twitter feed? I mean, yeah, as, as I said, I followed the the United Footballers account, which had about fifteen thousand. I just thought, if I can get anywhere near that, then that would be pretty cool. Um, but it it kind of just blew up um, quite quite quickly, actually. I mean, I used to tweet maybe just two or three times a day. Just, just to a few, a few thousands really at the start. Um, but there was one tweet in particular at the start which kind of blew up and gave me quite a lot of exposure, and that was a fact about just Wolf from from Gladiator. <laughs> um, I love the nineties. Yeah, he appeared for uh, for Gillingham Reserves in nineteen ninety four, and it just it just went, it just blew up, and uh, it kind of went from there really. Okay, well, we'll get into a bit more about it in a second, but let's bring James in as well. So, crap 90s football, um, which is probably a bit more re- more recent than the 90s football tweet, but what made you begin this Twitter feed on, on crap 90s football? Well, it's I mean, it's the actual genesis of it goes back to uh, 2010. Um, I've, uh, I also have run a Hull City uh, YouTube channel, which basically is, uh, and, and I've over the number of years of create of created an archive of, of just match highlights game footage uh, through kind donations mainly and um, a couple of years ago I mean I've got you know way too many VHS cassettes in, in you know that, that's that's in my house uh, you know for, for someone of, of digital age like but uh, join the it, club it, join the club James. yeah no it's all, it's all good there's people that are keeping the flame burning yeah, alive yeah. That, I've got season good. videos of QPR that I haven't taken out of a box but you know you can't bear to get rid of them yeah absolutely well I got, I got to the stage where I thought I need to get rid of these I need to get rid of them taking up way too much room so I thought well I'll just have one final flick through them and these there was a couple of things I saw that I thought crikey this this is comedy goal this is this is this, this, this can't be you know lost you know I, I, I obviously I weren't fully aware of, of the success of, of um, 90s football account on Twitter as well but I just thought well it's too good to lose I need to do something with it and I thought well Twitter seems the obvious way of, of getting it out there and getting people to see it but originally it kind of just started off as a thing for, for me and my mates to enjoy and um you know, I think uh, followed a few few sort of accounts and things like that, and say where the mouth picked up, and a couple of people said, "Yeah, you should, you should try and push it a bit more." And I, and I think quite early on, actually, um, Paddy got in touch, and through some um, candy promotion from from him, he's, he you know he, he took off from there really. Mm. And I mean, I've, some of the clips it's mainly clips you do, isn't it? And it's some of them yeah. are truly tremendous. Uh, yeah, well, that, 
No, carry on, sorry. No, go on. Nick. What were you going to say? No, no. Well, it's, it slightly differs from from nineties football in so much it is predominantly um, kind of footage that that I've kind of got really. I mean, it's yeah. the odd bits and pieces that 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 have um, cropped up. So, so it's kind of quite a lot of uh, man I was putting in, in clipping things and and going and whizzing through the tapes and stuff like that. But it's it's. Um, yeah, so so it's kind of yeah, it's predominantly footage, but um, I mean the, the absolute joy is that you know you, there's also some decent stuff in there as well. I mean again, I have to probably go through all all the, all the tapes and get some of the better stuff out there as well somehow. Well, I'm expecting a, a parody account to appear, so it would be like good or brilliant '90s football yeah, to, to well, happen at one point. Oh, we'll just keep niching it off, you know, sort of exceptional '90s football. It'll... Definitely, I mean '90s football is obviously. You've you've used that because that's where you've grown up from. That's where your VH is from. Have you gone back and look at eighties football and things like that to see how crap that could be, or or do you think ninety? There's something about the nineties that seemed to be more crap than else, didn't it? Yeah, no, well, not so much necessarily the crap. I think it was it was there's these certain things that certainly in terms of how how games were recorded. You know, mm. it's, it's you know they had they had the VHS cassettes and they were record. You know, there was this after um, the World Cup in in nineteen ninety. There was kind of a surge in interest in, in in football, and certainly after 1996, and uh, but in some cases, you know, and also obviously with the Premier League as well, the razzmatazz around that, the there was an interesting kind of like we need more more things, but necessarily sometimes the quality wasn't up to the the actual uh, desire, the hype, and the uh, and the desire for it. But um, but yes, yeah, so, so the. Uh, I mean, the, the the clip that always sort of got me interested in it was, um, and again, it sort of seems, it seems longer than than just twenty five years ago. But the um, there's a clip of, the, of an own goal that uh, Paul Stancliffe scored for Wolves um, at the old Molyneux, the old Molyneux Pride to redevelopment, and it's you know, it just seems like the the shirts the, the, and, and the um, and and how 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 you know decrepit Molyneux looks as well, and, and, and you know. Just, it shins the ball in. I just thought, yeah, it just seems like another another world ago. But certainly in terms of how people recorded football, there's not there's not as many avenues to go to for for, for things earlier than the nineties and yeah. afterwards. It was all DVDs and 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 things like that. And you know, people have probably already seen that stuff as well, which is you know, there's there's so much buried I think in 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 nineties football that 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 uh, it just seems to be a perfect uh, perfect matchup really. Mm. It is, and it's the naffness that like, like we celebrate yeah. on here all the time. You know, the nineties were we went from very cheesy in the early to mid nineties until Sky really took over. As I always say, if you look at nineteen ninety and look at nineteen ninety nine, I don't mm. think any decade is as different. In, no. in football mainly I mean overall in society you could argue but definitely in football it's so different from those two diff- it's just that 10 years it changed yeah. so much and you can tell that by looking through the videos on your Twitter feed um, and Paddy I mean how much of you because you've, you've got a day job yourself so how much time do you take up in your life and dedicate to, to 90s football I mean it's, it's probably an hour a day I mean, I'm quite lucky with where I work that I get an hour lunch, um, so I can do quite a bit of bit of lunch, um, so then I can sort of relax in the evening and just uh, do the odd bit. But it, it doesn't take up that much time. But yeah, 
it's something because obviously we've got a twitter feed and i try to tweet there as much as i can and you know i do the happy birthdays and the type of things and on this day but you're very random is there any way any rhyme or reason you choose certain pictures or certain images that you you choose every day is it literally just finding something and go, oh that'll work today that is that is pretty much it yeah i mean i do occasionally do on this day stuff but um i tend to just schedule a lot of it in advance so therefore it's just a lot of uh what i see and uh, tweet it really yeah i like that that's what i like about it that it's quite random you're not really expecting to see something and you'll mix it up from maybe a, an actual image from a game or some memorabilia or stuff and you mentioned that first tweet of wolf <laughs> that went a bit <laughs> mental i mean what other tweets can you remember during your you know doing this have really hit up and been the most popular amongst the feed i mean in in the early days i did a uh just a tweet, a simple tweet about sensible soccer. Yeah. Um, and that just just exploded as well. And uh, from from then I kind of learned uh, kind of what was the what everyone had the most passion about really. Obviously, a lot of early video games. People had a lot of passion about. You mentioned football Italia earlier, and then a lot of the uh, goalkeeper shirts as well. Just people mm. love mm. just how. Well, I, I'm not gonna say shocking, but you know, in a best possible way. Uh, yeah. Some of them were. Yeah. And uh, I just went from there, really, and just kind of quickly learned what, what people like the most. Uh, and I tended to try and uh, keep it around that. Mm. And you, you've got some great stuff on there as well, because I, I imagine your logos from Panini Cheapscapes, and you've done some stuff with um, Alex from uh, the Mishmash stuff as well. So it's, it's really the mugs I've seen. I mean, how, how I mean, taken away have you been by those sort of things and how well the, the Twitter feed has been received? I mean, I... I couldn't possibly imagine it would be where it is today. I mean, like I said, even if I got about 15,000, I'd been so happy. And to get, well, I've said 200,000 was just, just amazing to hit that. But um, I do try and get involved with kind of smaller accounts if I can, because a lot of big accounts helped me towards my beginning of Twitter. So I try and kind of repay that if I can with uh, accounts and uh, just retweet some of their stuff. And uh, hopefully, you know, it inspires other people as such to, to get involved have you had any sort of unique situations with like real you know footballers from that era or, or or things like that that have come because of the twitter feed or anything like that probably my first big uh, name follower was uh nuri sahin oh okay was, uh, quite quite a, a random one very and random <laughs> it was but and you, you often kind of sit there and wonder what what did i tweet for him to see and just think you know i want to follow that but yeah I'm really not sure, but yeah, so that was that, and uh, I'll tell you what, in, I tweeted a picture of uh, Engelbert Humperdinck giving out an award, and he retweeted that, and I was just thinking, how how strange is this situation that Engelbert Humperdinck is retweeting me? Uh, there you go. The beautiful world of Twitter, and I love that we've gone from Wolf from Gladiators to Engelbert Humperdinck in a matter of minutes, it, it, it's brilliant, it really is. James, I mean, same sort of questions I, I wanted to ask you, actually, I mean, uh, what have you found have been the sort of the best tweets that you've done, and how much time do you sort of dedicate um, to the feed? Well, I mean, initially I put in quite a, a lot of, of work. I mean, it, you know, it feels that it, even though the account's only been sort of present for, for about eighteen months or so, it, it the uh, I used to um, do quite a lot on Vine, and, and sort of I did kind of a bulk clipping and putting stuff on Vine. I mean. It's incredibly low-fi. I mean, all I do is just initially was just take a take a video on on my uh, on my iPhone and, and and sort of stuck it straight onto Vine. It wasn't any great technical thing, but I mean, you counting into whizzing through the tapes as well. It probably in a bulk I could 
throw about four or five hours into it really um but that's literally i, I put you know life on shutdown and just fully focus on that get everything out the, out the way and just and, and, and it makes it like life a little bit easier nowadays it, it's maybe a couple of hours um it's just finding time for it really um and in terms of the actual tweets that sort of took off i mean this the, the one that the, the, the jamie pollock own goal oh, classic victory. yeah absolutely beautiful i i mean i maintain that as bad as the own goal that was it was also close to being the greatest back header of all time because it, the actual composure and poise that he showed i mean the touch the touch that flicks up into the air is pure metal to see here really you know was, uh, um well that just, go, all that goal uh james is the reason he was rated uh, bigger than jesus in a qpr fans poll as the greatest man that ever lived because that goal pretty much kept us up that season and sent City down. So I appreciate that on all kinds of levels. It's uh, a man very close to your heart, it I'd is, imagine. In, <laughs> but was there another tweet as well that involved... Was it a QPR Man City game at Loftus yes. Road that went yeah, not well, just was, on your feed? That's... That went a bit mental, didn't it? It was. It was, it was absolutely... That was, that, that was um, very odd, really, because I'd actually put um, a gif of that particular incident up... Um, a few months previous to the one that went a bit crazy really but a, ch a chap called Ian Blegg just uh, was watching uh, a, a, I think it was an ESPN channel out in, in Australia and they were showing that game and he said oh you know QPR versus Man, Man City from I think 93 I think it was tagged me in it I thought oh, well you know it's it's uh, no harm in retweeting it retweet and it got picked up by well worldwide I mean the um, uh, I think it was L'Ultimo uh, uh, Uno or something. I think that was the account. But, um, they voted it the uh, the great or the worst twenty seconds of football <laughs> ever. Which I would I find it I wouldn't argue with it to be perfectly honest. I mean it's it's kind of modern art in a way. It's There's comical. so much going on with it. <laughs> but uh, but yeah that that was that when viral very quickly and then it went quiet and then it got picked up again and and you know featured in newspapers i mean um ian who who, who did the tweet initially was who kind of kept messaging me saying oh he's, he's gone to africa now i can't believe this <laughs> i suppose it's just the nature of uh, nature of the beast with twitter if something kicks off you uh it, it goes far very very quickly it's the furthest the qpr have probably been in, in <laughs> a very very long time across the world i was there that day bizarrely i was at that game um i don't remember that i was i was too young and i sit down the other end but i was i do remember the game i think we lost the city actually but it is uh if go if you haven't seen it I will, we'll put it on our twitter feed because it's one of the most as as james said the ridiculous moments of, of football with 20 seconds the amount of mistakes and people falling over and everything else you literally don't know which side's attacking at times. Yeah. It's, it's quite magnificent. <laughs> yeah, it's. Tw I mean, if anything could sum up your Twitter account, it's pretty much that yeah. 20 seconds, isn't it, of, of, of yeah, footage from, from, from that game. Um, I want to ask you guys, actually, before we talk about the 90s football in general and your favourite memories, um, bring you back in, Paddy. I mean, where do you... Do you have any sort of plans to see this going? Are you happy just to stick with the Twitter account? I know you have the you've done quizzes, you do blogs with uh, Sid Lambert, friend of the show. Is that the kind of sort of where you'd like to see it go slightly into um, a whole brand, a whole website, and things like that? Yeah, it certainly is. Yeah, I'm trying to push the website as much as I can, really, and possibly even think about more merchandise if the if there is a need there. But I'm certainly trying to push it as much as I can. Yeah, certainly. Mm, yeah the blogs are very good from Sid um, and check them out because um, yeah, he's a good friend of the show check his book out as well as I said in the intro it's a fantastic have you read the, have you read the book Paddy? 
I have, yeah. Yeah, very good. Let's give him a plug because it's yeah, it's a definitely it's a great it's a great book. And and, and same for you, James. I mean, uh, where do you see? Are you happy with where you are with crap nineties football? Do you see it going different ways? Uh, um, well, yeah, I think it's obviously it's probably not as got as, as broad a broad appeal as as um, as, as Paddy's uh, camp, but the. Um, yeah, I mean, I think as it stands, I think it, the, the footage is coming. I've still got so much that I've not even touched yet in terms of tapes and things like that to, to look through. So there may be another potential gold mine in uh, in, in, in a cassette somewhere. Um, yeah, I mean, these little things. I mean, I'm, I'm astonished by Quiet House, you know, popular it has, that you count as tape. And I've given that it's just basically an, a, a, a kind of a, a, an extension of the old sort of Danny Baker kind of, Looper clips, you know, sort of the, uh, um, but yeah, so it's, it's kind of maybe possibly merchandise, may, or, or, but um, yeah, or, or branching out into doing, as I said, crap other decades, maybe. Mm. Um, I'm sure there is something out there, but uh, but yeah, it'd be acquiring everything and and, uh, and having the time to go through it. But uh, as it stands, I'm kind of it, it's it's more than I could ever imagine, so I'm, I'm kind of quite content with it. For the, for the meantime, anyway. Yeah, you mentioned those Danny Baker blooper figure, um, uh, videos. It always reminds me of the, the the clip that always stands out for me, and it's, it kind of falls under your umbrella, but it's the uh, Andy Dibble, Gary Crosby moment. I don't know if you remember oh, this. Yeah. When he's holding out the ball and look, shouting his defence, and then Gary nicks in, headers it, and the goal's allowed. That's, I remember, as a kid, thought that was the most hilarious thing <laughs> that, that I'd ever seen. Well, let's go to today's interview now then, before we get to you guys and your 90s memories in general. This interview, as I said at the top of the intro in the show, was recorded a while back. Uh, I haven't used it yet because we were saving it for a certain show, but I thought it worked quite nicely in this because where these guys are the 90s appreciation club, this guy appreciated the class of 92 because he was part of it. Maybe not so as memorable as some of the bigger names, but he bloody well should be in my book as well. So here's me talking to former Manchester United defender Chris Casper on Alive and Kicking. Chris Casper, thank you for joining us here on Alive and Kicking. How are you doing? Yeah, very good, thank you. We're taking you back to the 90s now. Uh, you signed professional terms in the early 90s for Manchester United. Uh, what was that like for a young footballer to sign for such a, a massive club? Yeah, it was a um, it was a real privilege for starters and, and a very exciting time in the club's history because um, we we just won the European Cup Winners' Cup, uh, beating Barcelona in Rotterdam, uh, and then signed in the summer of '91, uh, and then won the Youth Cup in the first year as well. And the first team probably should have won the league as well, but it was a, you could tell there was a there was going to be exciting times together, and uh, it was a great place to be at that uh, at that particular time. You signed as a defender as well. Were you always a defender in your early days? Has that always been your position? Yeah, no. As usual, um, when I was at primary school, I played up front. And then at secondary school, I played in uh, midfield. Uh, the competition for midfield places at, uh, in our uh, youth team was with uh, Nicky and Simon Davis and um, um, Paul Scholes, obviously. It was, uh, it was quite high, so I uh, kind of slipped back into defence and uh, got a few more games than I probably would have done if I stayed as a midfielder. Mm. Uh, those early days at Manchester United, it's something we always ask the, the guys that played in the 90s. It was very much the kind of the YTS type uh, way they used to do it. Do you remember doing chores and cleaning boots and things like that? Was that the way it was down there? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, but the club were, you know, we, we weren't ever, uh, t- you know, the, the Mickey wasn't taken out of us. We just got a particular job to do. 
Uh, probably only took you about 10, 15 minutes, but it just kept you a little bit grounded as well. Some lads cleaned the showers. I, I, mine, mine was cleaning the first team showers in the uh, bath. Um, you know, some did the dressing room floors, some did the boots, some did the balls, whatever it was. But it just kept you a little bit grounded and, um, you know, it just, uh, you know, probably brought you into reality a little bit because you were living the dream. You were playing football every day. That's what you were earning your career out and earning your money out. And it was a privilege, like I said before, to do that. Um, so it just kept you, like I say, your feet on the ground, I suppose. Do you think today's football and today's youngsters, they kind of miss that kind of element to, to growing up at a football club? Yeah, maybe. Um, the the life skills programmes that a lot of the clubs still deliver, hopefully should um, kind of compensate for that a little bit yeah. and give the uh, the education to the to the uh, young players through a different means, I suppose. Whereas back when we were apprentices, then uh, there wasn't a lot of staff or resource and whatever, so it was a good way of doing it. But now, especially in the Category One and Two academies, there's uh, some really good support that the kids get. I say through the life skills programs and that that runs all the way sometimes well in most clubs from under nine it's an education program for the for the players but also the parents as well and I think that's uh, really important that you know it's it, uh, coming through a system now it, it is going to be very very difficult as it was before it is very difficult to make a career out of it and the facts are and the figures are the chances are you might not make it um, so it's important that you've got those life skills and those experiences and see what the, the real world is about if you don't actually make it. You don't want to stop anybody from living the dream. And, you know, there are people that, that go on and fulfil the dreams and their ambitions. But in many cases, you've got to be realistic as well. So some really good work going on in the academies. Mm, absolutely. But let's take you back to that academy that you had and the players that you're around at that time. Okay, We talked famously about the class of 92. You were around that kind of players could you see very early on that it was like something very special around that kind of group? No, um, you would you would only say out of the that group that won the Youth Cup in '92 uh, that uh, there was only ever going to be, or the, you know, there was one nailed on uh, superstar, and that was Ryan Giggs. Mm. Uh, Ryan was a different level altogether. He was a first team regular when he was 16, 17, um, and even as a young player, a young kid playing against him for Salford and Greater Manchester when he was 13, 14, you knew he was a different level altogether. So, you know, we were just a group of young lads who were thrown together from, I'm from Burnley, from Bury, from Manchester, from London, from Ireland, from Wales, wherever, um, you know, and it wasn't really until probably the second year where we started beating any team that was put in front of us, really, on a, we used to play in the old A team. Uh, which was an open age group, so anybody could play. Um, you know, and, and invariably, once teams started knowing that we were we were beating most teams quite comfortably, the ten strong teams, you know, and that that would be even Man City and Liverpool and Everton, uh, who were giving us really good games and good experiences. So, uh, probably, you know, once after Christmas in the second year, '93, uh, leading into um, uh, sorry, leading into '93, then um, things started to get a little bit. Um, say a little bit more serious but we started training with the first team a little bit more uh, I think there was eight of us got offered four year contracts which I don't think was heard of in the past so the manager had a vision for us and that was one of the real good things about uh, Sir Alex that you know he, he, he did have a vision he had a, a real clear um, vision like I say how he wanted the, the club to, to run in the future a real youthful element to it 
and we were fortunate that that happened to us. But also as well, there was the the European rule that said that you could only have five English yeah. players, uh, sorry, five uh, non-English players in the squad of 16. So um, that allowed us as well the the opportunity to to train more with the first team and uh, and show what we could do and you know compete for places against and that's what we were there to do right from the start Eric Harrison always instilled in us right like I said when we were 16 you know you're here to learn but ultimately you are here to play for Manchester United's first team much is always made of of David Beckham when he arrived at Manchester United this kind of swagger from London do you you remember that him being the Cockney coming into that team of very much northern northern boys Um, David was a uh, he was a confident lad he wasn't arrogant at all Um, he was a real good uh, you know mixer within the group and settled in very very well he was only a small lad when he first signed so in the first year when we won the league when we won the youth cup I don't think he played until March time we played Tottenham in the semi-final and that was David's first appearance so and then, you know, I think probably these days you call them late developers or whatever, but David was a real, you know, when he was 15, 16, he was only a very small kid, but got a lot of confidence in in his ability, um, you know, and like things done right and worked hard, worked incredibly hard, uh, and he's, he's gone on to achieve the success that he's deserved. So, uh, you know, he wasn't, he was a bit different because he was a cop <laughs> coming into a Manchester, you know, in the Manchester in the northwest area. But he settled in very, very well, and um, you know I'm, I'm really pleased the way he's, uh, he's got on to have such a successful career, and proud that you know played with him as well. So, you know he's uh, he's a, he's done very well for himself. You mentioned Eric Harrison there earlier. I mean, how important? I mean, we know Sir Alex and his vision, but how important was Eric Harrison in that role in the academy and, and bringing those players particularly through? Yeah, Eric played a massive part in our our development, and um, the one thing. The one thing Eric used to do is he gets, he, and I think it's still still in place now, really. But I think Eric was probably the first person to do this, along with the manager, was that he'd get to know the players, he'd really get to know you, and got to know your your personality and your character and what you needed. Some people needed a you know kick up the backside, some people needed their arm around them, but also as well he got around them, you know, two real legends of the club, Nobby Styles and uh, Brian Kidd. So that was a real. It was a real strength for Sir Alex that he'd got those three coaches, um, you know, and uh, they were all of that, uh, of the uh, the philosophy, they understood what the manager wanted, the way that we should play, we played. Uh, we had to win games of football, but we, we had to win in a certain way. Uh, you know, if you didn't win, but you played in a certain way, that was acceptable. If you'd give it your best, if you won, but had not played in the Manchester United way, it wasn't acceptable. So... They, they all understood that, and um, you know they allowed you to express yourself. Uh, you know, and they, they knew we were all individuals. Uh, like I said they understood us incredibly well and got to know us. And it was great to play for. You'd, you'd run through brick walls for them, and they'd be honest with you. They'd be open with you. They'd tell you how it is and how it was, and you respected that. And it, it, just real, probably honest, traditional values that instilled in us and, and a, a worker and an ethic that obviously you know and you look at the lads who have gone on to to have those unbelievable careers but also mm-hmm. you look at the other lads as well you, you look at Keith and Robbie Savage and some of the others that went on to have great careers as well you know not everybody could come through at Manchester United so 
Uh, and I think that was instilled in us by, by Eric and, and Brian and, and Nobby, definitely. Mm. Was there any stories you can tell us? I mean, you're obviously a bunch of very close lads. Um, any stories you're allowed to say on air you can remember from, from the time? Um, probably not, no. I mean, <laughs> we, you know, we had the banter in the dressing room and, um, you know, we all had uh, our particular uh, nicknames, I suppose, and we all got the mickey taken out of us. But it, they were a real good bunch of lads and good friends, you know, and... Uh, um, you know, we uh, we all looked after each other and supported each other, but we were determined as well. And you know, if if someone wasn't trying hard or wasn't doing the right thing, then they would be told in no certain terms. It wasn't really down to the coaches, really. It was down to us to 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 run the dressing room how we you know we were allowed to run it, and uh, it, uh, it 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 went from there really. And like I said, some out of there out of those, that dressing room has been some real good leaders have come out of there. So. It was a good time, like I say, it was it was fun. It was uh yeah, there are some stories back. <laughs> <laughs> Just save them for another time, Chris. Save yeah. them for another time. Um before we go, if we mentioned you you did play for the first team of course. Um you made a debut uh, against Port Valve, if I remember on, in October ninety four. What was it like to finally step on the pitch and play for in the first team at Manchester United? Yeah, uh, it was a it was you know, it's a cliche, but it was a dream come true. You know, you remember walking down the tunnel and the the music and uh, the fans, uh, you know, and all the rest of it. So I'd actually played um, played a few pre-season games, played at Rangers for the first team, which was a um, that was a great experience as well. Uh, played at Wolves and actually picked up a, an injury um, just after pre-season with uh, an ankle. So I was out for about two or three months, and that was I think that was my first game back, the Port Vale game. I was just desperate to play because I knew the manager was playing the young young players who was mm. giving them an opportunity. And, he obviously made his intentions clear when we played at Port Vale in the first game, which I wasn't fit to play in. Um, but obviously he played you know, a lot of the young lads and took a bit of criticism that he didn't treat the, the competition with the respect it deserved. But you know, we, we still won the game, so you can't really, you know, you can't really criticise him for that. And it gives us all that, uh, an opportunity, and you just wish more clubs would go would go down that route. Even nowadays, you know, give the young players an opportunity in, in a cup competition or even in the first team, because young players won't let you down. And, uh, you know, we, we didn't, we, like I said before, we'd run through brick walls for the manager and Eric and the coaches uh, because they trusted you and you, they give you an opportunity and that's all you could ask for, really. And like I said, that night in October was a, you know, a real special moment for me. And unfortunately, there weren't too many more of those, but I'll never forget that and I'm proud that I did that. One other thing we would quickly ask you about as well, the, you were part of the European Championship winning team for England in '93. Um, that had some big names in it. What do you remember from from that tournament? A successful team. I mean, you look at the, the names in the team, and um, you know, you look at obviously Gary, uh, Saul Campbell, Kevin Sharp, who was an outstanding player at Leeds, uh, Nicky Scalzi. Um, it was that good a team. David Beckham couldn't get in it, and Ben Thornley was probably the, one of the best young players in the country at the time. And Robbie Fowler, Julian Chochim. So, and Darren Caskey was the the captain in that. Um, that was a fantastic team. It was a, a privilege again to play in that. Um, and uh, I remember the final at uh, at Nottingham Forest. Um, I think there was one stand open before before the game, and they ended up putting the game putting the game back 45 minutes because there was that many people. I think hmm. it was full at the end of the. We beat Turkey one 0 having beaten Holland and Spain and France. So you know we we did well to to get so far some fantastic teams involved as well um, but to beat uh, beat Turkey as well in the final was a, a real achievement as well very proud of that one as well Brilliant. what are you up to nowadays Chris? 
I work for the Premier League um, in the youth department, so hopefully uh, passing on some of my uh, my knowledge and my experiences that I've picked up in the past. And we've uh, got a challenge in our hands because we'd like more young players in the first team. Like I say, I've seen that and what the benefits are of putting players and young players into the first team. Uh, and hopefully we can uh, we can get back to those days where lads are getting opportunities because ultimately they have to be good enough first and foremost. So it's a long process. We, you know, it's uh, looking at development of coaches, development of uh, other staff as well, uh, making sure that the lads have got as much support as possible to hopefully get them into the first team. But ultimately it's down to the clubs to pick them, and uh, we can't force them to pick them, but. You know, we can only help with the development of the young players and hopefully, uh, you know, improve them and make them ready to, to play into the player, you know, make the debuts in the first team. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for that look back, Chris. It was great to talk to you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks, Brilliant. Chris. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Bye. Cheers. Bye bye. Thanks very much to Chris Casper for talking to us there. I hope you enjoyed that interview. But let's talk to these boys about their 90s memories in general then, just slightly away from what they do on their Twitter accounts. Uh, Coming to you, Paddy, first, and something you mentioned to me on email and you've been no bones about keeping quiet is your love for Corinthian figures. So much so, in fact, I saw the tweet on your personal feed uh, that the lot that your granddad found in a charity shop, brilliant that was. Tell us about your love for Corinthian figures. It is indeed. I'm I'm so happy with that. But yeah, it, re- it really stemmed from uh, going into Woolworths uh, in the sort of mid '90s. My mum had made me a a football pitch birthday cake, and uh, we'd seen this mom. Alan Shearer figure. <laughs> so we we'd basically bought it just to go on the cake. And I also bought a goalkeeper, um, Neville Southall, just to make it a bit look look better. And it sort of went from there. Every time we went to Woolworths, I just bought a figure, and. Uh, my love from there was just uh, quite insane, really, because I probably have between four and 5,000 Corinthian figures, uh, sadly most in the loft. But, I mean, oh. I, I even went to Villa Park to the conventions and everything like oh, that. I remember so. those, yeah, yeah. I mean, they were that, good days, they were. that's an amazing... You need to basically just hire a room and, and make that a museum, because I would pay money <laughs> to see <laughs> that. <laughs> I would, love, I would love to, yeah. Yeah, there's a, I, you probably follow him yourself, there's a t- friend of ours on the, who tweets us a lot who's called Corinthian Collector, and I know he's got a lot of um, figures himself. I've got the odd few. I'm, I've kind of saved the best players, the four QPR ones that they ever made, and I've got the Alexi Lalas from Yosu 94, Janino, few of them sit on my shelf, but 4,000, that is absolutely mightily impressive. And the fact you've got Valderrama in your hands now is, uh, is a big one. He must have been a big one for you. <laughs> No, it is, yeah, and I would, I would certainly love to kind of bring them all down one day and just, even just to sort them, um, yeah. just because they're sort of just in boxes in the loft, which is such, such a shame, but it's one of those things, isn't it? You can't really do a whole room just on drinking figures, well, I can't oh. anyway. <laughs> in a dream world, in a dream 90s house, Pat, yeah, I think that would what we'd be doing. I mean, is, was it just Corinthians or, I mean, I'm definitely one, I've said this on the show before, that I kind of grabbed everything memorabilia-wise in the 90s. Is there anything else outside of the, the Corinthians that you remember collecting as well? I mean, I'm like so pretty, pretty much everything, obviously. The Merlin sticker books. Yep. Uh, even the going back to the early 90s, um, I, I started to collect the Tonka figures, Um and just even 90s football pogs, just yeah. everything I could, I got my hands on. Is there anything more 90s than pogs? Like, it's literally that decade they started and died. It's, it's the most 90s thing I can 
try and describe that to my 10 year old nephew he just thinks i'm mental he doesn't understand <laughs> what they are what that word is but yeah the tonka figures as well brilliantly in the fact that the, hardly any of them actually looked like the players they were meant to look like makes them just a, a brilliant find i've got a few sitting on, on my office as well james how about you are you a memorabilia person um, and, and those sort of things sparking some memories for you obviously you collect the vhs tapes anything else yeah. you you uh inspired them in the 90s well, I did have a, a, Corinth, a collection of Corinthian figures, but I, feel, I, thought, I, I thought, actually, yeah, I had quite a few. I had uh, sort of 50, 60, 70 or so, and then I feel kind of slightly... Yeah, uh, Slightly <laughs> slightly. Yeah. <laughs> didn't, 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 didn't try hard enough at all. Um, no, I, I had uh, sort of certainly all the England uh, Corinthian figures. I think they were the first batch that came out, yeah, didn't they? Yeah, the Euro 96, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've got, I've got, I've certainly got all, all those, and they, they are somewhere. I'm not sure exactly where, but um, and sticker albums mainly for me. I was, I was big on, on, on stickers. Um, although I only ever, I only ever fully completed one album, which, which is probably more my failing really. I got the um, completed the '94-'95 one, but mm. didn't, uh, didn't, didn't manage beyond that. Now, I mean, my, my kind of um, sort of main association with 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 it was um, I mean I, you know programs mainly for me yeah. from 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 games and things like that that's that's kind of uh, where my collections are I've got kind of way too many in in, in this stored away you know various various memories of um, well just well not not necessarily pleasant memories as well as following Hull City during the certainly the later nineties under another uh, of your favourite uh, people uh, Mark Hately uh, oh. actually. You know, yeah, under his uh, stewardship, that was that was hard going. Yeah, that's not um, a name we appreciate very highly at Loftus Road. No, no. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it's like watching. It seems like things like the TV, you know, uh, uh, Renford Rejects always. Was kind of, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, again, it was a, it was a, you know, the novelty of seeing a Hull, um, uh, Jason wearing a whole city shirt on that. You know, that was kind of like uh, 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 it was sort of um, always uh, was very uh, popular. It was. Um, yeah, so so it's just mainly mainly the programs really. I've never been huge on on memorabilia, but just mainly programs and and uh, latterly uh, the the videos. Are you the sort of guy that still goes to a football game and has to buy a program like me? Not necessarily. Oh, no, I'm I, terrible. I I've, uh, no, I've, I've, I've unfortunately to, for, for my for my sins, I've, I've kind I kind of stopped about about six seven years ago. I'm not not exactly sure why really. I think it was I mean because the programs were sort of getting bigger and sort of it was just the game of the room side of things but um but i've still got a fairly substantial amount mm. more so from again more so from when i was younger and, and, and during the 90s as well and seeing like how, how the designs have changed as well and things like that it's, you know the little little features that you get you know the certainly the interviews with players uh, are always quite a quite a joy reading back through and seeing how absolutely boring a lot of them are <laughs> yeah. you know? well, what, yeah. what, what, what's your yeah. favorite uh, favorite meal beans they haven't improved that greatly having you know my day job is kind of at kick magazine and they still answer in the sort of singular sentences anyway so there's only a fair few that kind of yeah. get a bit more than that but i think programs have also also suffered from the fact you know the internet whereas you can find information and stuff um mm. although i i do i can't go to any game i always end up buying a program i remember i went to the republic of ireland oman game a few years ago and there's no need for me to buy a program I don't know why I was at the game. I think it was just for a crack with the, with a few mates. But yeah, it's sitting in my collection. It's about four pages long. I think it costs about two quid. Stupid, yeah. But yeah, is program. that is that is that technically a program or is it just a leaflet? Uh, probably a leaflet. Yeah. Yeah. yeah probably. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I couldn't get away with that one, I suppose. Um, 
And to tournaments, I mean, I, I wanted to ask Paddy about this because your logo has always been France 98. So I'm assuming that holds a, a big place in your heart. Is France 98 like everyone has their tournament? Is that yours? It, it definitely is, yeah. It was just, just everything about it just seemed just brilliant, really. There were some, obviously, some beautiful goals, especially uh, Burkamp. But, and even England were looking looking half decent, but uh, obviously that didn't end too well. But I think the tournaments from when, when you're in your childhood kind of uh, just mean more to you because yeah. it's sort of when, when you're falling in love with football and uh, it just it just bring, brings out so many memories. And obviously, Futtux is uh, pretty, pretty cool, I think. So it seemed like the logical choice to go with, really. Yeah, no, it is. Well, how about you, James? What tournament stands out for you from that decade? Um, well, whilst I was I was kind of into football, I got into football in sort of the in 93, 94 time, I, um, I didn't really take as much interest as I probably should have done in, in, in the World Cup in 94, so it was Euro 96 for me really, and, and obviously with England, England, uh, England uh, coming so close in that, but, um, but yeah, certainly France 98 was, for me, probably the, the, the best World Cup I've, I've Still, one of the best World Cups I've ever uh, lived through. I mean, I went out to France for for the Europe for the Euros last uh, last summer, and I was fully expecting it to be kind of just as magical as you know from, from witnessing uh, France '98. It didn't turn out as as, as I thought, but uh, but yeah, France '98 was just I think yeah the the colour, the even like the, the presentation and, and and things like that on on ITV and BBC as well just kind of captured captured the imagination really. No, good tournament. I mean, I think all the tournament. I think we always call Euro '92 the forgotten tournament because I think that's nobody's favourite because it was such a sort of no, nothing really happened other than the famous Denmark story. But yeah, France '98 was a fantastic. So many stories from France '98 with the Ronaldo thing in the final. You know, the Beckham stuff, Owen, it's the Burkamp goal as well. It's just there was so many stories from '98. I mean, I'm a partial bit of '94 because I like a bit of Americana, Alexi Lalas, and that the best kit of all time um so yeah but no france 98 you mentioned kits both of you uh, let's let's go for the, let's ask that on the final finish note uh, your favorite kits from the decade let's start with you james i mean obviously the whole city one is must be up there because it's iconic but it is a decade of horrible crap if you would 90s kits what would be your yeah. what be up there for you oh cracky well the, i mean the, the in terms of the in terms of favorite kits are, are the worst ones because i mean both. the both. Oh, blimey, right. Well, I think that the Huddersfield had some absolute shocking ones from 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 remember from when we we played them. Um, there's one. I think it's actually sim one similar to the design that they've, yeah, um, the the really black and red one. Yeah. Yeah, but I think it wasn't exactly that girl girl sponsored kit. It was. I think it was sponsored by possibly Vi leader or something like uh, that. I think it just, I'm, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 like sort of red with. Or with um, yeah, white splurges and, and sort of black pinstripes and yeah, had Vi, I think being sponsored by Vi Leader didn't really, you know, I mean, sort of a super mop um, kind of, <laughs> you know, not, not, not the best sponsor, best kits. Um, I mean, I, personally speaking, I was, I was very fond of, of um, uh, Hull City's uh, early 90 kit, even though it was before my time, which was um, kind of what I always thought a kit should be which was the uh, very bold black and amber stripes um and uh, with with uh, amber uh, amber sleeves um i always thought that um the man united uh, third kit the uh, one the sort of nod to newton heath one was always oh, quite lovely a lovely kit yeah with a, with a, with a lace of collar as well was it was an absolute beautiful kit from around that time and um uh, 
the Italy one in 1990 as well always kind of just looked like a, just, a, just a good kit I imagine to to wear and and uh, he just looked good on telly as well, which always uh, always make, makes uh, makes a big impression. Yeah, the Roberto Baggio kit that I like to yeah. call that. Is that whole city one? I think I remember that. Is that got made by Match Winner? Is that the it's, one? It's, yeah, yeah, sponsored, yeah, sponsored by Bonus. Yeah, yeah I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what? Uh, and for you, Paddy, I mean, you mentioned the goalkeepers' kits, but then there's the Norwich, the famous Norwich kit. You must uh, hold it dear to your heart as well. That the Bird Poo kit as it's often referred to. I mean, it's, one, it's one of my favourites just because of its pattern and obviously memories from Bayern Munich as well. But what are your kind of memories of the kits, both bad and good, of the 90s? I mean, that that certainly is a, is a classic. But even if you look at the, the goalkeeper shirts that Brian Gunn were forced to wear, mm. some of them were pretty shocking, really. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure who, who was designing them, but... But yeah, but if you look at some of the uh, some of the classics for me, I mean, it's from, it's from the same tournament again, France '98. The the Mexico home shirt was just beautiful, and it's the same about the uh, Japan Japan goalkeeper kit. That as well, with, with just the flames going up. Oh yeah, just, yeah, that's such a nice kit. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the goalkeeper ones always stand out for me as those Liverpool Newcastle Adidas ones that had those weird squiggly bright colours on them. I mean, I mean, keep your eye on a couple of mad ones as well, but goalkeeping kits were, as you say, I don't know what uh, designers were on, although I prefer that to the templated boringness we get in 2017 nowadays. So, But let's, let's finally finish on this. Um, I was going to ask you your favourite tweet from your account that you've done um, before we go. So, um, Paddy first, what has been your favourite tweet from 90s football. Putting you on the spot a bit there, haven't I? That is, yeah, that is, <laughs> that is a uh, brilliant question, really. Um, you know what? It's, it's probably it's probably not even sweet. It's probably what just what what happened. It was probably the first big retweet that I that I got um, was it was just a compilation video of uh, of uh, Alessandro Del Piero, and Del Piero himself retweeted it and just. The coolness of that, because even uh, Claudio Mark Marquisio, he he favoured it as well, and just the amount of uh, just it was just really cool. Just thinking Del Piero just sat there scrolling through his phone, looking at my, my, my just look look at my tweets. Yeah, so I will go with that one. Yeah, you can't that's, you can't really do a better story than that. Uh, James, what has been your favourite tweet? Um, I think it's probably, and again, it was it, it was just something. Say it was just kind of like the response it got really um, was uh, an own goal from um, uh, Ipswich versus Tranmere in ninety six ninety seven I think it was where basically um, Tranmere on on the attack lots of various you know air shots pinball ends up with the limpest uh, own goal uh, from 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 Ipswich and I did it kind of within you know. Just on a you know scanning through through a tape and I was on my way out and all right I'll clip that get it out and I think within it went viral very quickly but people like Stuart Broad using it as a as a means of slagging off Moeen Ali for his for his <laughs> lack of footballing ability and things like that and thinking like that's bizarre that's absolutely nuts and again you know um just the, the sheer response and the scale to that was was always always stuck and it's a good, it's a really funny clip as well i mean particularly the there's one air shot that uh, somebody has where he nearly spins himself in, you know 20 foot into the air it's uh, startling 
Great stuff. Well, great stories then. Um, so that's final plug these Twitter accounts for anyone who unbelievably isn't following them. Uh, and just if you've got anything planned, I know, uh, Paddy, you just done the 150 great goals thing, didn't you? Which was brilliant for things to watch. Have you got anything like that planned? And just to clarify, what's the Twitter account? Where can people follow you? Um, you can follow us at, uh, at 90s Football on Twitter and on Facebook and at www.90sfootball.com. Um, but yeah, I've got, I've got lots of plans, especially for more uh, Twitter poll World Cups. I've got a Twitter poll of football video games coming up quite oh, soon. Be so very popular, yeah. That's something to look forward to. But yeah. but yeah, I'm certainly looking at more kind of the because uh, 150 was was really good. It went really well. So I'm trying to think up of more things I could do like that. Well, we'll look forward to that. And James, your account. I know you've got a ad bad vent calendar coming, haven't you? Yeah. If ever want to plagiarise and and uh, and do a very very cheap Christmas rip off. Um, yeah, I've basically. Uh, I'm quite in awe of the uh, of Paddy's 150 goals. I thought, well, I don't know if I can get uh, 150 out of own goals, but I've managed. To, <laughs> I thought, well, I thought, well, what's coming up and it's quite short. Well, Advent will do. The, the, you don't need to think that many. So I've got um, the uh, yeah the Badvent calendar that's going to be uh, commencing from from the first, and um, yeah, that that's going to lead into. Um, a, uh, a special Christmas compilation of, of clips that I've uh, that I've, uh, I've put together as well. So so that's to come, uh, and that can be found uh, on uh, Crap Nineties Football at Twitter and uh, on Facebook as well. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, guys. It's been a pleasure delving into that social media world with you. You can follow us at AK90s as well. We're going to do something Christmassy. We'll probably do our sort of 90s advent calendar as well. So expect to see Christmas pictures of 90s footballers looking unhappy, as per usual, on our Twitter feed. Um, I've been Ash Rose. Thank you very much for downloading, as usual. This is Alive and Kicking. And as always, keep it 90s. Mm-hmm.